Golf is a very mental sport. You know, no two days are the same and, and it requires a lot of mental toughness. And I think the same thing can be said about investing. There, there are so many things that happen when you're investing that are just out of your control. So how are we going to respond? What's going on, guys? This is Passive Wealth Strategies for Busy Professionals. Thank you for tuning in. Today, our guest is Kyle Ruddick. And today we're talking about our portfolio optimization strategy, our overall wealth portfolio distribution, and kind of the way we should think about these things for high income and high net worth professionals. How are you thinking about the way you organize your wealth? Where do you put it? And today we're talking about the buckets, the bucket strategy of wealth distribution optimization, why you might want to put your wealth in certain buckets, how to think about those buckets, what they're each for, and some downfalls of not using the right bucket strategy. I learned a lot in this one. I think this is so important, particularly now when we're in a time of, let's say, ups and downs in the market, mostly downs, some ups. And these these questions come up of what should we do when, say, the market's down 30% or our, our real estate is really struggling because maybe our tenants don't have to pay anymore for an undetermined amount of time. Well, this bucket strategy helps us think ahead and see those problems coming and plan where we put our wealth. So this, these are great lessons. If you're somebody who you, you need to organize your wealth and think about your future, and if you're listening to this podcast, you're one of those people, this is a great interview for you to tune into. Once again, our guest is Kyle Ruddick. For those of you who don't know, I'm your host, Taylor Lote. I'm a real estate investor, real estate syndicator. I buy real estate with passive investors and split the return. I love talking about these topics of where we put our wealth, what we do with it, and how we should think about it. It's so important to think ahead and plan for the future. And today you're going to get a lesson on how to do exactly that. Without any further ado, here we go with Kyle Ruddick. Kyle, thank you for joining us today. Absolutely, Taylor. I appreciate the opportunity and it's a, it's a pleasure to be on the show. Great. I'm, I'm excited to talk about what we're going to talk about. But before we get into it, can you tell our listeners about what you do and a bit about your background so we know a little bit more about who Kyle is? Sure, sure. So just a quick background. I, I started my career um, in the, the business valuation field. So partnering with a lot of uh, small business owners that were looking to to transition to, to the next chapter of their life and would help them and in, in basically determining the, the value of their business. Uh, really enjoyed that and, and appreciated the work, but but was really drawn more to the the client facing side of that and, and just really enjoyed those those conversations that I was having with clients around, you know, what what's next and and how are you going to to make the transition. So it was a natural transition for me into the the wealth management and financial planning field and so now i I serve in that role as a as a fiduciary advisor with uh, constellation wealth advisors where we partner with a number of uh, small business owners executives and and clients that that are really looking for uh, some assistance and you know building building and structuring portfolios and and just planning you know how they how they want to maximize the value of their time Nice, nice. So it seems to me that this is something that probably a lot of folks don't think about until they have the problem of I have high income or high net worth and I need to figure out how I'm going to allocate all my assets. And on this show, we talk primarily about financial independence and real estate investing and where the two meet. And you've got some really interesting ideas about integrating things like real estate 
into one's broader portfolio. So let's dive into that and talk about you know, what does money do for people and how should we think about kind of organizing that portfolio as we reach kind of these higher net worth, higher income levels? Yeah, great, great question. So at the, at the core of our philosophy is, is really, as you think about money, there, there are three primary things that, that money can do for people. At its core, at its base level, it provides security. It allows you to, to be secure and, and provide for your family. And then as you, as you grow, money provides for, for life's experiences. It, it allows you to, to do what you want. And then at the, at the top, it, it allows us to, to build and, and perpetuate a legacy and kind of how you want to be remembered. How do you want to distribute that wealth? And, and the cost of, of one of those is the price of the other. And, and I think people that are successful in, in managing their money really maximize the utility. They maximize the balance of, of those three things and, and how they work together. You know, for some people that, that are very risk averse, it makes sense to have more in that security bucket. And, and if they want, if they have to sacrifice a little bit of investment return or a little bit of, of the legacy that they're able to leave, it provides them with, with greater peace of mind. And, and that's what's important for them. You know, for others, they want to maximize their experiences today. They, they want to enjoy the time with their loved ones and, and friends while they're alive. And, you know, maybe, maybe that means leaving a little less at the end of their plan. So, you know, moral of the story is the, the, the key is, is not necessarily maximizing return for the sake of return. It's maximizing the balance of, of how you allocate your capital amongst those three buckets. And, and so we've used that philosophy really to, to build a, an investment framework around the concept of needs, wants, and aspirations. And what that entails is, is basically structuring the, the capital that we've allocated to those three buckets to portfolios that, uh, that, that are designed with with time horizons and and risk constraints in mind. Okay. So I'd like to maybe this is obvious for others I don't know, but I'm I'm really wanting to make sure that I've got the right definitions of needs, wants and aspirational investing in my head. Like what do those things mean? I mean, needs is it might it might seem obvious, but I want to make sure I'm getting it right, and the listeners are are getting it right and are on the same page with you. So can you define each of those because they I want to be on the same page with you. Sure, sure. So the the needs bucket, we we typically ascribe um, capital that that's going to be needed in the next one to two years. So so you know maybe it's a new uh, real estate purchase, maybe it's a new car, maybe it's college for the kids. But but you see that event on your calendar, and and you know that it's coming in the next one to two years. Why that's important is because you don't want to have capital put at risk, you know, whether it's in the public markets, whether it's locked up in a real estate investment, you don't want to have that capital put at risk so that there's the potential for a market crashing event, you know, like the one we had in in March, right? And during that time frame, you you still need that capital to to take that vacation or or buy the house or or whatever it is. You never want to put yourself in a position of having to make the decision of, do I sell my investment at a loss right now to fund this event, or 
do I defer my event? You know, you, you want to make sure that, that you're never put in that position. The, the once bucket is, is more of that, that longer term bucket for, for most clients, you know, that, that, uh, that's the, the retirement bucket. And, and we're looking at, you know, at least two plus years, but, but usually, you know, it's, it's five to 10, 10 to 20 on, on the time horizon in terms of when we're going to need that capital. It's, it's designed around, you know, what's the typical time from market correction, bear market back to recovery. You know, we, we don't want to have to, you know, we want to have enough capital available to be able to fund our lifestyle without having to, uh, to tap in and, and sell investments at a loss. And then at the, the, the far end of the spectrum is that aspirational portfolio. Um, this is money that, that is designed or, or earmarked for, for really building a legacy. It's that, that generational creating wealth for some. For others, it's just, you know, it's, it's an amount of money that we want to earmark for a charitable gift or our family. But it's money that, you know, if, if, if it were to be invested in a risk asset, and that asset were to go to zero, it's not going to be detrimental to the once portfolio and, and adversely impact uh, everything else that, that you want to accomplish. Okay. So thank you for those summaries and, and especially putting the time horizon on it, because like you said, we're in a situation now where if you needed that money out, the market has mostly come back when we're talking today, but it's anybody's guess what's going to happen the rest of the year. We're certainly absolutely we're not out of the woods from the, the COVID standpoint, at least. And who knows what's going to happen? So we've got these three buckets: needs, yeah. wants, and kind of aspirational investing. How do you think about like properly sizing those? I mean, is it a third, a third, a third, or I mean, how do you really plan that? Because it's it's maybe easy-ish to know most expenses that are coming up in the next one to two years. But as you get further out, it's kind of hard to see those things coming. So how do you think about breaking those down? Yeah. I mean, I think, as you mentioned um, correctly, I, I think that that needs bucket is is usually one of the easier ones to right size because we can we can see those events coming. We have we have pretty good visibility over what the the cost of those expenses are going to be. the The once bucket is really it's it's largely driven by the client's objective. You know, if if it's a retirement type strategy, what is a typical spend or what's a desired spend that the client has in five to ten years at at retirement? Or after they after they exit that business, you know what what is it that that they're wanting to spend? It's also a balancing act with with the aspirational bucket. You know, a lot of times as we sit down and have conversations with clients, they they may sit down thinking, well, I just want to leave a bunch of money to my kids. I, I want them to be set up and, and I want them to be taken care of. And as you start having you know taking a deeper dive and, and peeling back some of the layers of that onion, it's no, I, I don't necessarily want to leave money to my kids. I want to build memories with my kids while I'm still alive. And, and so now, you know, we're talking about shifting. Well, that that's going to be more spending now. That's going to be less capital that we're going to leave. But again, it's it's all about maximizing the utility of of the capital that's available for what uh, what what gives you the most satisfaction. How how do you derive the most satisfaction from that? So. Hmm, okay. I mean, retirement planning, for one, it's, that's one I think about from time to time, especially that, I mean, how do you really project 
at least some of the end of life related costs. I mean, it's probably impossible to do, but you know, we see over time the cost of medicine, cost of uh, medical care, all those things goes up much faster than inflation. And we could probably expect it to continue doing the same moving forward. So is that kind of a, a projection that you make or, or, I mean, how do you really think about that in the, in the planning process, just that kind of those end of life expenses? Well, I mean, there, there are resources that, that we use um, to get some approximations around, you know, long-term care is an event that's, that's a concern for, for a number of people, you know, either they've experienced it with a loved one, um, you know, maybe a parent, somebody that, that's come through it. And they've they've seen the the burden uh, both financially and and personally that it can have. So there there are a number of resources that we can use to get an estimate of you know those costs, and then we can use that to model those end of the plan around you know what's what's the highest probability age, what are the, those costs depending on where they live, and then it can help us make a decision on you know do we want to self insure for those types of events and you know, basically pull from our aspirational bucket if we need to, to, to fund those costs? Or do we want to work with a third party to, to put some long-term care insurance or, or something like that in, in place? You know, as a fiduciary advisor, we're not eligible to sell any product or, or collect any commission for the advice that we provide. But certainly, if it's in the best interest of our client to, you know, have an insurance product or something like that, we can, uh, you know, we can help coordinate some of those introductions. So I appreciate that you brought up the fiduciary advisor status and term. And, you know, I, and I put myself in, in this position, but for those of us who don't know or feel we don't really know what fiduciary versus non-fiduciary really means in this case, can you define that for us and, and why fiduciary might be advantageous as opposed to yeah. somebody who's not? Yeah. This is one of those areas that I think from an education perspective, we're, we're starting to see uh, an awakening, if you will. I, I think more people are starting to ask the right questions around the service that they're getting. But, but we're so accustomed that when we're working with somebody that's dealing with our money, you know, maybe it's an estate planning attorney, maybe it's an accountant, those people are legally required to work in your best interest, your best interest. Right. So, so they have to subordinate everything else that they're doing and only provide the advice that, that is in your best interest. When it comes to financial services, there, there are two standards that can apply. There's the fiduciary standard, like the attorney, like the accountant. And then there's what's called the suitability standard. This is where your, your brokers, your, your stock brokers, a lot of the, um, you know, the insurance industry operates under that suitability standard. Put simply, what it means is if, if there were two investments, they're identical in all ways, except one costs 5% and pays the commission to the advisor. The other costs 1% and pays no commission. The fiduciary advisor is, is legally obligated to recommend the one that's lower cost because that's a, that's a benefit to the client. The broker or, or the, the person operating under that suitability standard could recommend either one of them because they're both generally suitable, but only the one is is going to be in in your best interest. So, okay. So, pulling on that thread, if somebody's curious or they they want to know, you know, who they're working with, if that's a 
if they have fiduciary responsibility or not. How do you find that out? Do you just ask that? Like, are you a fiduciary or, you know, is it just a dumb question to ask? I don't know. No, it's it's a great question to ask. In fact, it would be the first it would be the first question I would ask because <laughs> you know all all of that it means put quite simply is you know are you willing to put my interests ahead of everything else? And and if the answer to that is no, my next question would be well why not? You know why why wouldn't you? So so there is and and not to not to complicate it too much, but there is also a, a another subset of the universe that's what's called duly registered. And and so what that means is, you know, you and I are having a conversation around your retirement plan. I have my fiduciary hat on and and I'm providing advice and then all of a sudden I want to sell you some insurance. I can flip that hat around and now I'm operating as a broker, but I don't necessarily have to to tell you when I'm changing that hat. So so I think, you know, the the question that you want to ask is is not only are are you serving me in a fiduciary capacity, but it's are you always serving me in a fiduciary capacity? Because you want to hear the answer is is yes to that question. You can also you know trust but verify, right? So the the industries are regulated by different entities. So your fiduciary advisors are going to be registered investment advisors (RIAs), and they are governed by the Securities and Exchange Commission (SEC). Your brokers are governed by FINRA. So, so you can look at a website and kind of see how, how they're governed. And then if you see on a website, you know, securities offered through or securities uh, sold by, um, that's usually a pretty good indication that, that you're working with a, a brokerage house as well. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Glad we brought that up. You also wrote a book. I wanted to make sure that we addressed this while we had you. The Perfect Approach, a nine-hole course. <laughs> to financial success beyond the nine to five. I love that. I love the analogy. I'm not even a golfer. I just love the analogy. Yeah. And I yeah. wanted to at least, you know, kind of dig into that and learn a little bit of, little bit more about some of the lessons in that book, or at least, you know, why folks might want to check it out. And, and for full disclosure, you know, you've been very clear, you don't want to pitch your book and, and, and talk it <laughs> with me, but I'm bringing it up. So, you know, yeah. you are unleashed to, to talk about it. Don't worry about it. Thank you, Taylor. I, I appreciate that. So I, I've been, you know, kind of a lifelong golfer. I'm not, I'm not very good, but but I enjoy it, and uh, it's it's just something that that I've always I've always enjoyed doing. So, and, and you know, I think because of that, certain client conversations or something, it, it would just come out. I, I would have an analogy, and and I'd reference golf, and um, sometimes it sometimes it worked, sometimes it fell pretty flat. But but I was just thinking more about how much of a you know golf is a very mental sport. I mean, there, there, it's just, it's one of those games where, you know, no two days are the same and, and it requires a lot of mental toughness. And I think a lot of times the same thing can be said about investing. You know, there, there are so many things that happen when you're investing that are just out of your control. And, and so how are we going to respond? You know, how, how are you going to take that bad break and, and, and bounce back? But also, there are a number of things that you can do to prepare for success that that put you in the best position. And so, you know, a, a couple of things, uh, a couple of examples from the book that I like to talk about. You know, first and foremost, Tiger Woods. It, it wasn't long ago that you know he was the the odds-on favorite to win every event that that he stepped up to the tee box in. And you know, it, it was a foregone conclusion at one time that he was going to break. Jack's records and he was going to have the most major, win the most majors, win the most tournaments. 
and then things changed and and he he's not and, and now he's an upper middle of the pack type guy and, and as an analogy there was a piece a couple of years ago in the wall street journal called the morning star mirage and i i love it because you know th- there are a number of times that, that you sit down with people and it's like well, what, what's your investment strategy well i i look at morning star and, and i look at five star funds and those are the ones that i include in my portfolio and so so what this article did was it it actually tracked that and and it said okay we're only going to look at Morningstar five-star funds, and we're going to see how they did. And, and what they found was that of the funds that earned that rating, that, that coveted five stars, only 12% of them did well enough over the next five years to earn it again. Hmm. And further, 10% performed so poorly that over at the end of the next five-year period, they only had one star. Wow. So, you know, you, you can do the math and, and, you know, you're almost better excluding five-star funds from your selection <laughs> process to start with, you know? Yeah. So, you know, I, I think things like that, another, another one of my favorites is, you know, you're, you're more likely to make a putt for par than you are an equivalent putt for birdie. So controlling for distance, controlling for difficulty, uh, you're more likely to make a putt for par. And it all has to do with with loss aversion. It's the same part of our brain that deals with, you know, selling, losing, and or I'm sorry, selling winning investments too soon and holding on to losers thinking that they're going to come back. We, we, we want to avoid the pain of losses. So, so you're more likely to make a putt for par because, you know, you, you really hate bogey. You, you, birdies are nice. You, you, you want to make birdie but you really want to avoid that bogey. And, and so there, there's just a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of similarities in, in the middle game between those two. So. so if I may, you know, show my hand and a little bit of my golf ignorance, birdie being one under par, so better than par and That's bogey right. being over par say, so you're more likely to make the putt for par because birdie being one under par, that's, that's pretty nice, but being yep. at par, you don't want to do any worse than that. That's right. That's exactly it. Yep. Interesting. You got you got it. Interesting. Okay. I'm glad I checked my math on that just to make sure. <laughs> right. Great. Yeah. Well, right now we're going to take a quick break for our sponsor. All right, Kyle, I've got three questions I ask every guest on the show. Are you ready? I'm ready. I'm Great. ready. First one, what's the best investment you ever made other than in your education? Other than my education. So... I think the best investment I ever made would also be the worst investment uh-huh. that I ever made. Um, I, I think they're they're one and the same. So I'm going to go back to to when I just started my career. I'd been out of college, been into my first career about a year, been working pretty diligently to save. I had I had saved up about five thousand dollars, I think, and uh, I was also in the market for for an engagement ring. You know, I wanted to buy a little bit larger rock, and and so I needed that that money to grow grow fast. I enjoyed following the the stock price movers on Yahoo Finance, and you know, looking at which ones are or which ones are going up, which ones are going down, and and thought, you know, naive as I was, that I could manufacture some sort of strategy to uh, to take advantage. I pulled the trigger, watched the moves, and and. Yingli Green Energy was was the name of the company that that I finally decided on. 
had no idea what it was, a Chinese company and, and did something in the solar, uh, solar industry. I had no idea. still don't know what it, what it does. I just remember the name because of the lesson. So I put about 2,500, about half of my, my total investment to work and uh, watched it pop. You know, within the week it was up 20%. I'm like, man, I've, I've got the game figured out. You know, this, <laughs> this is, this is easy. You know, about another week went by and the stock came back down and you know I'm like well you know it's just natural it's it's what happens so I took the rest of my money I said this is the best entry point I'm going to get put it to work and the market the 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 stock just cratered so you know now I've I've spent a year trying to save all of this money and took about a month to uh to cut it to less than <laughs> half so it was definitely the worst investment I ever made but but it was where my appreciation for a process and a, and a framework around needs, wants, and aspirations entered the game. You know, I, I should not have had a risk on asset like Yingli Green Energy. I shouldn't have been investing in that type of asset for a purchase that I needed to make within, within the year. So it, it was just a, uh, you know, it was one of those learning experiences. Fortunately, it happened early, very early in my career before the, the dollar figures got too high. So, <laughs> well, that's good. That's good. And you've yeah. succinctly addressed my second question. What is the worst investment you ever made? So we're going to lump that in with your answer there. Yeah. I think my, my wife would second that because it, it cost her the most. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it, but she got yeah. you in the end and you got her in the end. So it all, that's out. right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Well, my favorite question here at the end of the show is what is the most important lesson that you've learned in business and investing? I think it's the importance of of having a process of of really defining what what your process is going to be. I mean there there's just regardless of the industry that you're in, you know, real estate invest there's just so many different flavors, there's so many different people out there, you know, preaching different strategies or, or throwing different things at you that, you know, without a, without a defined process and, and the ability to, to filter the noise from, from what's the, what's at the core of, of what you're wanting to accomplish. It just, it's, it's really difficult. And, and I think if, if you can put some process around what, what it is you want to accomplish, what you're trying to do, it makes it a lot easier to, to find the right tools and, and find the right find the right metrics to, to really meet your meet your objectives and, and find success. Nice. I appreciate that. Make a plan, make some processes and go execute them. I really appreciate it. Okay. And I appreciate all the lessons you brought us today about this this portfolio planning strategy and priorities and all these things for high net worth investors. If folks want to get in touch with you, if they want to learn more, they want to learn about your services, what have you, where can they find you? So LinkedIn would probably be the uh, the best. I'm Kyle, Kyle Ruddick. Our website, Constellation Wealth Advisors, we're in Cincinnati, Ohio. So I also put out a weekly newsletter, just some, you know, some fun tidbits and, you know, different, different news and, and things that uh, I find interesting. So be happy to anybody that wants to sign up for that. They can, uh, they can do so from LinkedIn. So. 
great, great. They should definitely do that. I appreciate you joining us once again and bringing all those lessons. And I appreciate everybody tuning in to learn those lessons. To everybody out there, thank you for tuning in. If you're enjoying the show, please leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's very much appreciated and helps other people learn about the show. If you know anyone who could use a little bit more passive wealth in their lives, please share the show with them and bring them into the tribe. Once again, thank you for tuning in. I hope you have a great rest of your day and a great week, and we'll talk to you on the next episode. Bye-bye.